Welcome back to the Salmon Trout Steelheader Podcast Sportsman Show Edition. I'm here at the Portland Sportsman Show with a good friend of mine and colleague, Dwayne England of Fish Hunt Northwest. Dwayne, it's good to finally have you on the podcast. Lucas, uh, we've talked about this a number of times. I told you to get here day one before I lose my voice, but uh, <laughs> we are two and a half days into this uh, Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show down here outside of Portland. And uh, it's already happening, man. The voice is almost gone. Well, you know, you got a lot of people stopping by the booth and, you know, not to mention a full-on schedule. And so, you know, you guys here that listen to this podcast, I sure appreciate each and every one of you. And Dwayne actually runs one of my favorite shows um, called Fish Hunt Northwest. Now, this is something you can see on TV and on YouTube and Facebook. But for me in particular, I myself actually catch it on the podcast apps most uh, most of the time and watch it when I can. Um, so if you're a podcast listener, which of course you are, if you're listening to this one, I want you to go on your podcast app, whether it's Apple, Google Play, whatever it may be, and search for Fish Hunt Northwest. And um, you can find Dwayne's show. And then other than the podcast, uh, Dwayne, tell us where you can find the show. So we actually still continue now going, you know, four years strong here. We, we actually create uh, fresh and new relevant content each and every week, Thursday evening, 6 p.m. We simul broadcast on Facebook and YouTube. And then I take the first half hour of our production. It's an hour long show, six to seven. I take the first half hour. I upload that to a company that then uh, will forward it on to Root Sports uh, for the following weekend. So to catch us or view us on Root Sports on either Saturday or Sunday, it's only about 10 days after the actual production. So it's pretty relevant and up-to-date content for the Northwest. And that's why I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, you know, Dwayne, I really want to, in the future, do a whole another podcast or two where we can dive deep into, you know, some of the subjects that you and I talk about when it comes to fishing. Sure. But one of the things that I appreciate so much about the Fish Hunt Northwest show, you know, the Salmon Trout Steelheader podcast, we've got a bunch of great content on here, but we're usually sticking to general topics that, you know, apply to, uh, you know, to techniques and fish and fisheries, whereas what you're going to find on Dwayne's show, you will get some of that, but you're also going to get the most up-to-date, live, on-the-spot information. And what's really interesting is he'll get into a lot of what's going on uh, in regards to regulations and seasonality changes and what's going on politically in the fishing and hunting world. And Dwayne, how is it that you keep up on that stuff? Well, it's kind of a daunting task, as there is always so much going on throughout the Northwest, but especially within the state of Washington as of late. And, you know, our show is different in, in basically what you had just mentioned, Lucas, and that we do have a lot of really good on-the-water content, in-the-woods content that we release on the show for video viewing. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, people want to watch people catch fish. Mm-hmm. You want to watch the how-tos. We break stuff down, I think, some of the best in the industry in our how-to bait lab portion of our studio. The overhead camera and the granular information we delve into to really show you how to rig for this or that fishery. Uh, my co-host Tommy Dolan and I, you know, we're, we're, we're proud of the fact that we cover so many fisheries throughout the, the Northwest, um, whether it's on the ocean, uh, Puget Sound, lakes, rivers, streams, reservoirs, we're covering it all. I'm gonna just kind of tip my cap to the fact that we don't cover a lot of bass fishing and I apologize about that but 
The truth is there's so <laughs> many fisheries we do cover, sometimes we just don't have enough time. That's okay. Getting into the other portion of our, or our presentation, as it revolves around, I try to refrain from saying political, it's more about the issues. Yeah. We have a lot of issues in Washington State and throughout the Northwest, and a lot of these come from the top. Governor's Office, Fish and Wildlife Commission, some of the internal battles within WDFW, ODFNW. There's a lot of things that they have to regulate and manage over. Natural resources is very difficult and complex when it comes to identifying the needs, how to go about providing opportunity when it's suited to do so, because that's truly the main objective, mm -hmm. for example, of the Washington State Fish and Wildlife Commission. It's within their, their mantra that they are to provide us opportunity when fit to do so. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are now uh, dealing with a commission that is of mixed personalities. Um, some of them really lean more towards putting on a presentation of and, and they, they're kind of proud about this at times, it seems, you know, they take pride in the fact that they're anti-hunting, mm -hmm. anti-fishing. How is that suited well for citizens of Washington State mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to recreational opportunity for hunting and fishing? So we stay very connected with what is going on. And you asked at the start of this, how is it possible to keep up on all that stuff? Well, it is a daunting task. It's a daily, weekly grind, staying in contact with news outlets and other providers of information, pay attention to what's going on with WDFW. Being on multiple email lists help because you get, or helps because you get uh, notifications about things that are going on that are relevant, mm -hmm. things that we need to pay attention to. And I think the goal is you read through all that stuff, Let's extract the top four, five, six bullet points mm -hmm. and really drill down on those because that's the stuff that matters that persons tuning into the show want to hear or see Tommy and I discuss. And that's really what we try to do. We try to bag it all up, present it in a manner that we feel is not offensive. We don't typically target anybody or individual because that, that would not be a good way to conduct business. But... We have no problem with dropping names at times when there's a need for that and, and basically just putting it out there as a means of accountability. Absolutely. And so for me, as someone that doesn't necessarily have the time or, you know, perhaps just the interest to get into it as deeply as you, I really appreciate being able to hear that on your show and kind of find out what's going on um, looking into the future. And, you know, People that fish and people that hunt are true conservationists. And so by having that opportunity to fish and hunt, we are not anti-conservation by any means. Correct. In fact, we're the truest conservationists there is. But there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff that we're going up against in Washington. And so I'd really urge you guys to listen into the show. And But not only for that. Um, you know, like Dwayne said, he's got how-tos on the water stuff and one of the things that for me I've learned an incredible amount from Dwayne on is bait and I love bait fishing and there are times where bait will outfish anything and there are times when certain types of bait and the way that you cure it the way that you scent it 
can make a massive difference. Uh, we made a video on a river uh, fishing for Chinook, and I remember rolling into a hole, and there's a really nice uh, old man standing there fishing, and we asked him, hey, how's the fishing going? He said, hey, it's really slow, haven't seen anything. I had a little bite this morning, but we haven't uh, hooked anything since then. We said, hey, do you mind if we fish? And uh, he said, no, go ahead. Yeah, I'd love it. And so I pick up a bait of Dwayne's eggs that he had prepared. He had a couple different uh, cures there. And Jordan, Dwayne, and I all cast it in. Three bobbers in, three <laughs> bobbers down. Yeah. And it was on. And from that hole, we proceeded to just pull fish after fish after fish. We did help the, uh, the guy out there. He was able to get a really nice Chinook as well where we were there. And uh, he was just blown away at the bait, and I was too. And so, Dwayne, how long have you been playing with doctoring up baits and doing all these little tricks and tactics that you do share on your show? But how long have you been doing that? Well, I really, I kind of got, I don't know, sucked into the bait curing process at a young age, you know, young 20s. I just, I would go out to the river and see guys they're successful and catching fish and I had days of struggling trying to figure out why you know why am I not getting bit why am I not catching fish and there's a learning curve and as I progressed in my fisheries and read more learned more picked up SDS on a regular basis back in the day and was just reading what some of the other guys were doing you know what information was out there um, in experimentation Eventually, I got on with uh, Potsky's Bait Company. I've been with them for well over 15 years now. And initially, it started off, I was tasked with writing a lot of blogs, pictorial blogs on, you know, basically breaking it down in, in the process, right? People want to see the process through an article. And with good pictures and a good description, you can duplicate what it is you're reading uh, on, a, on a well-written article. And so... They're very descriptive, and then we kind of transition in creating videos on how-tos and whatnot. And I was, and still do, I always experiment around, try different things. Um, when I'm fishing bobber and eggs in the fall on rivers, I want to be very productive. Mm -hmm. I want to I do that. I want to roll into a hole. Other folks are fishing. Um, you know, do the right thing. Hey, mind if we, mind if we fish? Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. And there's been, there's been many days like that where all of a sudden you and the guys you have with you, you are draining bobbers and you are catching fish. And people come up and ask, what are you using? And, of course, I always say Potskis. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's my go-to. And through trial and error, there's a lot of failures as you, as you hone your bait-curing skills and create recipes. And, you know, for anybody that's experimenting, look, stuff's expensive nowadays, right? So... Mm -hmm. Uh, even if you find yourself having to buy eggs, purchase eggs, uh, whether they're fresh or, or flash frozen, uncured, there's there's a lot of different ways to come by um, skeins of eggs throughout the season. Now, how you go about curing those can be a game changer. It can be the difference of a very successful day in a river where the conditions are ideal. You know, who doesn't want water on the drop after a good fall rain, fish teeming up the river, and the whole stuff plugged full of salmon, mm -hmm. Chinook and Coho. You're probably going to have a pretty good day if you have some good bait. Um, if you have bait that's questionable, if you haven't taken care of your bait in the refrigerator, if it hasn't been frozen properly and is burned, it, there's a lot of factors that weigh in. If it just stinks, 
right? Mm -hmm. It may turn the fish off. There could be a whole lot of fish in that <coughs> hole and they're just not even giving you a look. It could be the wrong color. Mm -hmm. Maybe you brought orange eggs and they're just not really interested in orange eggs. So, you know, there's a method to the madness. Um, you, um, you develop your, your skill set and how you go about curing your eggs, preserving your eggs, freezing your eggs, thawing your eggs, getting them ready to get out on the river for a given day. Um, it's a process. It's a system. Um, I advocate for when you cure eggs to never add oil-based scents into your mixture. Now, some may. I choose not to because whatever I add to that egg in that base curing process, that's the scent that is locked into that egg. Okay? Mm -hmm. There's also something in the fact that oil-based cures and or oil-based scents added into the curing process in my opinion over the course of time of trial and error interrupt the curing process so the eggs don't fully cure as the cure is designed to get them to do if you add in other things that disrupt that process if that makes sense so mm -hmm. and the only way i realize that is through trial and error uh, these eggs are not performing as well they don't hold up as well oh they're flat um, it's almost like fishing a, a slab of fruit roll-up versus an egg that's full of berries and a lot of, you know, juicy eggs. So yeah. um, I'll, I will say that once I started adding powdered scents to my eggs, I mean, I'm all in then. It's like I have dehydrated, ground-up sardine powder. I'm going to sprinkle that in with my powdered cure. I'm going to cure these eggs, and when they're done, they're going to have absorbed into them the fleshes and the oils from natural sardine that is now into that egg and you can't remove that and you can't change it mm -hmm. but when you understand the fisheries that you are going to fish and you have proven to yourself that this combination has worked in the past and it's something you do for a particular fishery year in and year out there's nothing wrong with going all in yeah right on, on a powdered scent and yeah. i've noticed yeah some of the best bait fishermen i've ever met rest in peace gavin hall um Gavin was a huge advocate of the dehydrating bait fish, mm -hmm. and uh, that that doesn't seem to interrupt the curing process no. like oils do. That's correct. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And what you'll find is that um, the the introduction of dehydrated powdered flesh, and those oils are trapped in that flesh, and so you sprinkle that in, and as the eggs juice out, volumize and absorb the juice back in. It's actually also drawing back in that rehydrated flesh and oils into each one of those eggs before it seals up and the curing process is complete. Mm -hmm. When you hold those eggs underwater, and I think you and I did this on one of our videos in the yes, past, yes. and we showed not only do you see the egg milking out, mm -hmm. we watch that white uh, substance come off of the eggs, and it's always just been referred to in the industry as milking out, right? Because mm -hmm. it looks like somebody's pouring milk into the water. Yeah. The eggs are milking out, but you also see little pops of oil coming off of those eggs it's like a twofer right so you got the milk coming out you got the oil scent bursting out of them it makes a substantial difference in how those eggs uh, perform how they uh, how they fish how they milk out the scent that they send down river ultimately with salmon that's the key they smell in parts per billion it's their olfactory that you're triggering and so different makeups in your eggs different scents different um, amino acids mm. right things yeah. that they uh, key in on, that's what you're doing. And I believe trying to create a bait that completely smells different, especially on busy rivers, Yeah. from whatever else anybody else is fishing. That's huge. Yeah. And I notice, I mean, 
you're not just grabbing one cure and sprinkling it. Um, maybe you do sometimes, who knows? Um, but you really play around um, even in your, uh, your base cures to adding, you know, the, the powdered scents, um, you know, a couple little secrets, you know, different things that you do. But when it comes just to the natural care and keeping of eggs before you cure them, right before the egg curing process, from the time you harvest that fish to before you add your first cure, what would you recommend for anglers for keeping care of those eggs? So, you know, a lot of folks are convinced when you remove eggs out of a fish and if they touch river water, you might as well throw them away. I'm like, yeah, I've never bought into that. I've gotten eggs from guys that they rinse them off in the river and hand them to you. I go home and I cure those eggs and they end up fishing just fine. Oh, okay. I just don't really believe there's this huge taboo or there's this misunderstanding or maybe somebody at one time had experienced that whereby eggs were doused in river water and then... Um, they eventually were cured and they fished them and they had no success and mm. persons wrapped their mind around the fact that you cannot allow eggs to touch river water now i'm not advocating to say pull them out of the fish they have blood on them go ahead and rinse them off in the river i'm just saying if they accidentally do have some river water entered into the the cavity of the fish as you're removing the entrails in the in the eggs and they get a little wet it's not a big deal oh, okay um, interesting you know go to the river prepared it's like if you are planning to harvest fish and your goal is to also harvest eggs, you know, have a means of keeping them cool after you catch and clean your fish. Have a means of putting them into, say, a gallon Ziploc bag, preload it with a few paper towels, roll the paper towel, or roll the eggs into the paper towel, put them into the bag, roll the air out, keep them in your cooler on the ride home. The other thing is, you know, I see a lot of guys. Uh, floating down the river on a raft or a drift boat, what have you, and the fish is on a rope dragging in the water. Mm -hmm. Now that's, I mean, if that's your thing, cool. You're better off preserving your catch and taking the very best care of it you can for highest quality of opportunity for table fare when you finally process that fish. Also, it makes no sense to me to clean a fish after you've caught it and then drag it around in the river for several hours. All that meat now is exposed to the granules of sand and everything else floating in the water. Mm. Um, it serves no purpose to do that. I always advocate for putting your fish on ice or in a kill bag if you have the room on whatever it is you're floating down the river, even if you're bank fishing uh, and you don't have, say, a really long walk from the car, bring a kill bag with you. Set it on the gravel bar, especially in the warmer months, man. You know, mm -hmm. it costs a lot of money to go harvest a spring Chinook. Yeah. You want to take care of that amazing fish when you catch it and get it on ice as soon as possible. Now, we're not going to harvest a lot of eggs out of Spring Chinook, mm -hmm. but we're more after the quality of meat. Yeah. But for me, Lucas, whatever it is, the fish, the eggs that I plan to harvest, there's a way to go about it and taking the ultimate care of those eggs so that when you get home and you're going to start now the curing process, you've already started the process before you left the river. Mm-hmm. Wrapping them in paper towels helps remove some of the surface blood and some of the residual blood that's on the eggs or in the eggs as you travel home. Um, now you get to the point where you're going to cure these eggs. It doesn't matter what cure you use. It could be a wet brine. It can be a powder sprinkle on. It could be another manufacturer of cure. I'm going to advocate for Potskis because I truly feel it's the best cure on the market. Um, the first thing, and it's far most importance to me is you want to get as much blood out of the eggs as you can get. Um, I have fished bloody eggs. If I, for example, purchase eggs because I'm running short mm -hmm. and the only thing I can find is to purchase 
flash frozen, uncured eggs. More times than not, you're gonna find those eggs have remaining in them a pretty decent amount of blood. For me, because they've been frozen, I find it difficult once they thaw to get the eggs out. Plus, if you thaw out Or to get the blood out, you mean? Yeah, excuse me, okay. I don't know what yeah. I said. <laughs> so to get the blood out of the eggs after they've been frozen, and you allow those eggs to thaw, you're scraping that blood or trying to get that blood out of that vein. It doesn't want to move very well, it's coagulated, and you find that you're actually popping eggs because the membrane of the egg, once it's frozen, has been stretched. Okay. Once it thaws, it's a little bit softer. Um, to remove blood out of there like I would with a fresh skin of eggs with either the edge of a knife or scissors pushing down the vein, mm-hmm. it tends to pop a lot of eggs. So I, I stopped doing that. And what I'll simply do with those eggs that I can't get that blood out, for me, that's a no-brainer. That's going into a wet brine. And what I mm. find is by curing those in a wet brine, it actually helps float some of that blood out of those eggs. Okay, so right. that's a little tip for you guys there yep. from Dwayne. If you got some eggs with uh, that have been frozen before the cure and have some blood in them, a wet brine is the way to go. The other reason to do that, so I want people not to get all worked up about the fact that I bought these frozen eggs, I'm going to use a wet brine because it's the right way to cure them, and they got a bunch of blood in them. That is one reason to cure them in the wet brine is because of that blood. The most important reason is because I kind of already mentioned it. I, my opinion is when I, in the past, have allowed eggs to thaw on my work table, and then I go to put cure to them and go through the process, they just don't cure up as durable Mm. um, as an egg that I would like to fish. They don't last long, they milk out extremely fast, you end up with a big glob of white goo on the end of your hook after a few casts. Um, They're just not a durable bait. Mm -hmm. So, you're gonna cure that flash frozen egg unthawed. You know, you take that frozen brick of egg and you're gonna put it into a wet bath, you're gonna put it into your wet brine that you mixed up, and those eggs are gonna thaw and cure simultaneously. Mm. Now this could be a 24, 36 hour process. Uh, Typically, I'm not mixing a hot cure, so I'm not worried about overcooking or weakening the egg membrane by adding too much of a sulfite-based cure to it, making it what's recognized as a hot cure. This is a a milder cure. It's going to do a really nice job. And I have a bunch of videos and and, um, write-ups on specific recipe, uh, recipes that you put together for a wet brine to thaw the eggs out and simultaneously cure them. And after a good amount of time in that cure, you rotate the eggs around as they break apart. They become no longer a brick of frozen eggs, but individual egg skeins. You can move it around in the tub with your gloved hand. And once you feel like the eggs have all taken on the same amount of color, and you can kind of squeeze on the skein of the egg and you feel like it's toughened up a little bit, that's when they come out of the wet brine and into a colander or onto paper towels egg side down, skin side up, to drain the excess water or, you know, cure, brine, out of the eggs. Because you don't want them sloppy wet when you either put them in the fridge or in the freezer. So there's a method to the madness. I think there's nothing wrong with curing uh, frozen, uncured eggs. There is a technique or a method to go about doing it so that they turn out and actually fish, you know, well in our durable bait that's going to that's gonna perform. Now, when it comes to fresh eggs that have not been frozen, how long can you leave them in a fridge before you cure them? 
I really don't like to go more than 72 hours at the most. Okay. Ideally, when I bring a, bring a fish home, if it's late at night and it's been a long day and you're tired, you know, pull the eggs out of your kill bag. They're wrapped in paper towels and in a Ziploc. Put them in your bait fridge or refrigerator overnight. Just let them lay in there, no big deal. You cure them the next day, they're going to cure fantastic. If it's two days, that's about the max I would like to go. You can wait that third day. But what you're going to find is they start taking on a smell. They start getting a little bit of a uh, kind of a tangy, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, nostril flare kind of odor to them. Yeah. You know, if somebody gives you eggs that have been in their fridge for about a week and you open that bag up and it's pretty, it's pretty strong, you really can't get rid of that odor in those eggs. Mm. You can cure them and they may look okay, but there is this, there is this odor to them that may push fish off. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because it's the eggs basically decomposing, right? Mm-hmm. All life matter breaks down. And eggs sitting in a refrigerator, albeit it's cold, they're still, over time, beginning to break down. Yeah. So if you weren't going to cure the eggs within two days, you would advocate just to go ahead and freeze them. Yeah. You can, you can do a couple things. You can freeze them. Another alternative, if you think you need to have a little bit of some type of cure on them before you freeze them because you're afraid that's going to ruin the egg, mm-hmm. you know, I've taken them and simply dumped out a bottle of the Potsky's Fire Brine that we engineered for herring and, and flesh-type baits. Mm-hmm. Works phenomenal on eggs as well as part of your wet brine. You can literally throw eggs into just fire brine, mm-hmm. soak them for 12 hours or so, take them out and strain them, Wrap them in some, uh, wrap them in some bags and freeze them, and then you could take those back out at a later date and put a powdered cure to them or cure them to whatever color or, or uh, you know, type of cure you'd like to add to those to change color, scent, texture, what have you. But you can you can initial cure them in let's say a fire brine red if you know you're ultimately going to finish with red eggs later on. You mm-hmm. could you could do a, a flash cure on them like that with a fire brine natural, adding no color to them. So that gives you options to later cure those eggs, perhaps, hey, maybe I want to fish these for steelhead, so I'm going to make mm-hmm. them orange. Yeah. Maybe I want to fish them for salmon, so I'm going to make them deep red. Yeah. So you have some options. Um, it's not necessary. I think, you know, as you mentioned, you bring fresh eggs home, you can't get to it in a couple of days, and you know you don't want to risk just having to throw those away after they've been in your fridge four or five days. Uh, just wrap them up, paper towels, Ziploc bag if you can, get as much air out of it as you can, freeze them. Good. They're going to be fine. Now, one final question when it comes to eggs, and this is something, I mean, we could talk for a long time with Dwayne because this, this guy has details upon details. But a uh, quick question, after an egg has been cured, how long could you leave that jar, a sealed jar of eggs or a sealed Tupperware container of eggs in the fridge? I get that question a lot, especially here at the sportsman shows. And kind of my go-to answer, Lucas, is it always comes back to the environment you had when you cured your eggs. And by that I mean how much bacteria is in around your work area when you're curing eggs. Mm. Because we all know that bacteria in, in uh, little test mold containers and refrigerators grows at different rates, mm-hmm. right? Depending yeah. on the makeup of the bacteria. Yeah. What kind of bacteria do I have on eggs? Well, look, I'm not some type of chemist or microbiologist or any of that stuff, right? I do know I try to keep a fairly clean environment when I cure eggs. 
One thing I've gone to that works extremely well for both controlling mess and cleanup and just a clean work environment is I, I pull out a puppy pee pad, put it on my workbench. Mm. I scrape all the blood out of my eggs. I cut my eggs up into appropriate sizes prior to curing. I mix all my cures on the, on the clean pee pad. And that just really, I mean, it keeps a clean environment and it's an easy wad that all up, throw it away when you're done kind of a thing. Yeah. It works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other, the other thing I think that is key that triggers mold growth on eggs is, well, how cold is your bait fridge? Mm-hmm. Is it 40 degrees? I keep mine right down at 36 degrees. 36 35, degrees. 36 yeah. degrees. Okay. Um, the colder the temp, the less likely uh, bacteria will grow. Mm-hmm. Think about an operating room, a surgical ward. You go into those places, man, it's like they're hanging meat. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it keeps the bacteria count down, right? So yeah, as, as simple as it may be, you know, take a look at your setting. If you have the ability to put your bait fridge at 34, 35 degrees, 36, if you can hover around 34, 35 and your top shelf isn't freezing your baits, mm-hmm. then you're, you're kind of right in the area you need to be. If you recognize that your top shelf is freezing some of the things you put on there, Use a lower shelf and/or bump it by a degree. Yeah. Hover around that 36, you know, area. But clean environment, cold storage. You'd be surprised. Sometimes I keep eggs in the fridge, in my in my Tupperware bins, separated with paper towels to continue to absorb the excess juice. They may continue to weep out. Uh, I've had them in there for a couple months and they fish fine. Other wow. times, other times I've had them in there for three, four weeks, I open up the tub, I got mold on the surface. Interesting, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no, I have no guarantee, like, answer, there's no magic pill. To me, it comes back to preparation and temperature on your refrigerator. Good stuff, Dwayne. Well, thanks again so much for joining the podcast. We got to do more of these because we could uh, we could talk for hours on a bunch of different uh, topics, but you're going to find tons of great information on the Fish Hunt Northwest YouTube channel. For you uh, podcast fans, uh, go ahead and subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Spotify, what have you, Fish Hunt Northwest. And uh, we're here at the Sportsman Show. But, uh, Dwayne, any uh, fishing plans for the rest of this winter steelhead season? Uh, you know, we're going to head back to the Grand Ron here mid-March, um, give that a go. But prior to that, Herzog and I are jumping in the boat, heading over the pass. We, uh, we're going to go fish the Kokanee Shootout Derby. From there, we're going to head on over to uh, Rufus Woods for a day. We're going to head to Roosevelt for two days and run the planer board program and we have a lot of great opportunities to fish on some of these other fisheries showing some diversity and opportunity when the steelhead fisheries are are you know narrowing down or winding down here uh, for the limited opportunity we had this season. Um, there's some really great fishing to be had in the winter months especially on the east side of the state so we're going to go tackle that get a lot of that on film and introduce it on the show here over the next couple months. But I think a lot of that's going to be really good content and show some other opportunities that we can be out doing uh, when we can't always uh, chase steelhead this time of year. So um, I just uh, I want to thank you, Lucas, for giving me the opportunity to you know finally get get one of these uh, podcasts done. I apologize for, <laughs> for my voice and uh, maybe I'm coming across a little lack of energy, but this uh, I'm going to be honest, this this sportsman show the last couple of days kicking my ass. So yeah. uh, it's it's a grind. I appreciate everybody stopping by the booth here and the conversations, thereby why the voice is gone, talking to so many people. Yeah. So excited about the show. 
uh, where we're going in the future with it. Um, the goal here, the near short, to be honest, is to get my full hour up on Root Sports. Yes. So that's what we're yes. talking about with a lot of folks. So I'm hoping I can bring that to you guys, get the full hour on, get my voice back, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, get out there and get it done. So thanks again, man. Thanks again, Dwayne. Hey, everybody, um, if you want to support uh, uh, the Sam Trout Steelheader podcast, best way to do that is subscribe to the magazine, get it straight to your door, and check out Fish Hunt Northwest. Um, you will enjoy the programming. And uh, thanks again, Dwayne. We're going to wrap it up here at the Sportsman Show. Look for other episodes coming up shortly. And once again, I thank each and every one of you for listening. <laughs>